Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. I lost my hand! I lost my bride! Johnny has his hand! Johnny has his bride! Oh, what's the, what's the rest of it? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Forget it? I'm Nicholas Cage! I'm Nicholas Cage! <laughs> Hi, everyone! <laughs> welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. As Naomi said, I am Elspeth. I am Naomi, and our... Third co-host wheel. Our third wheel, Kyle, is not here with us today. So You it, just get us. You just get us. Sorry. And in, in light of the fact that uh Kyle is not here to steer the ship, we decided we should do something that he would probably never let us do if he was here. Or maybe I he mean, would. He might. I don't know. Not the next one. No. Definitely not. <laughs> Um, so we're just going to start a series that I'm just going to call Verses, where we talk about, um, two different shows, one opera, one musical that use the same plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into today's episode, uh, we just want to say that, um, to everybody that has sent us messages on Instagram and emailed us, we're so appreciative and thank you so much for all the nice things that everyone has been saying. And I'm sorry that we have not responded to anybody. We're super behind, but we're working on it. And I just want to say thank you so much. The latest one we got is from um, a woman named Allison. And Allison, you're the best. It just made us really happy that you really liked it so much. So your yeah, message you. totally made our day. Yes, so, thank, thank you. you. So what versus what today? Well, in honor of the Fox Rent that wasn't live, um, live musical. Was supposed to be live, but only 15 minutes ended up being live. Yes, that happened on Fox last week, and so in honor of that, we are going to talk Rent versus La Boheme. Dun, dun, dun. And for anybody who didn't know that fantastic monologue and didn't understand my Nicolas Cage impression, that is from the movie Moonstruck, which is one of the greatest movies of all time, but also heavily features um, excerpts and plot points from La Boheme. Indeed it does. It features Nicolas Cage and Cher. And who won an Oscar. Yes. For Moonstruck. It is so amazing. Like, it really stands up. I can't even tell you. The Mets feature prominently in it. It's so good. Everyone check it out. If you haven't. If you haven't, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I think it's on Netflix right now. It's, it's on streaming. Netflix. It's part of the cultural lexicon. You should see this movie. Check it out. <sighs> Labo M is in it. A lot. A the, lot. In, the entire score of the movie is basically Labo M and versions of Labo M. And Dean Martin. They go and see Labo M. What are you talking about? I love two things. I love you and, and I love the opera. Now, if I can have the two things that I love together for one night, I would be satisfied to give up, oh Christ, to give up the rest of my life. All right, all right. All right. All right! Meet me at the mat. All right, all right. She wears this amazing red dress. It's the first movie Nicolas Cage was in before he went like Nick Cage on everyone. He's super young and it's really adorable. Yeah. Anyway. We are inspired by La Boheme, we are inspired by Rent, and so we thought, why not? Let's talk this versus that. So, so first, um, we're going to start with La Boheme, uh, written, of course, by Giacomo Puccini, who was a dirty, dirty man. <laughs> um, he wrote he La Boheme. He had a very, very scandalous and active love life, one could say. Yes. Let's leave it at that. Yes. If you want to learn more about him, one of our very first episodes was about him. So you can go back into the archives the to first learn episode. more. The first episode. The first episode. Yes. So Bohem uh, premiered in 1896 
in Turin, and then actually premiered the following year in the United States in Los Angeles. Oh. And one of the interesting things of note about that performance is that it was conducted by um, a 28-year-old Arturo Toscanini. Fancy fancy. Running mm-hmm. in highfalutin circles. So anybody, does anybody not know the plot of I mean, <laughs> it is certainly one of the, what we call the ABCs of opera, right? It's the yeah. B, Bohem. Right. And Kyle would appreciate that reference. You're welcome, Kyle. <laughs> ABCs. And so it is based on this series of stories that was released, I think, kind of like in a serial nature that was all about, like, the life of bohemians in Paris and right. this very artistic life. And it had this, like, large cast of characters. And so the opera kind of trims down that cast of characters and focuses in on a couple of relationships, but mainly the two lovers, the main love story is between mm-hmm. Mimi and Rudolfo. Mm-hmm. And... Rudolfo lives in, like, this garret with all of his bohemian friends. He's a poet. He is a poet, and his friend is a painter, and they're very, very poor. They don't even have enough money for firewood. Or their rent. Or their rent. Yes. (laughs) Get it? All right. So it takes place in Paris, but everyone's singing in Italian. Mm -hmm. It's the story of Rudolfo and his friend Marcello. Yes. Um, And basically... Mimi meets Mar- uh Mimi meets Martel. Mimi meets Rodolfo. <laughs> she knocks on his door because she's looking for um someone to light her candle because there's no heat. And yes. of course, since she's the soprano and he's the tenor, they fall in love. But Mimi has a secret. Yes. She's deathly ill. She has the, the TB. So she faints and he's like, Oh, what's wrong? She's like, No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just cold. It's like it's cold and I haven't eaten a whole lot. Whatever, fine. Uh, they fall in love. It's great. It's they magical. fall in love, and they go to the Café Momu, and he introduces her to all of his friends. Wait. Before they go to the Café Momu, let's play a little bit of their super famous mm. duet, where the tenor can take the optional high C at the end, and I feel like they always do, and it never works. It's too loud, and it's never really in unison. Let's do Luciano Pavarotti and Marilla Franey. Good choice, good choice. Okay. 
All right, so that is Puccini's setting of this kind of opening major scene. Right. So with Rent, we thought we would go kind of side by side, plot point by plot point. Mm -hmm. And kind of the wonderful thing about this duo of this versus that is that the plots are basically the same. Pretty much. Pretty close. They they are some details that differ, mm -hmm. um, but they in terms of the musical numbers and what happens in the musical numbers, a lot of them are have very similar sentiments behind what's happening in this duet versus what happens in like the analogous scene in the musical. So exactly. to give you some background about the musical, Rent is considered a rock musical. It has both music and lyrics by Jonathan Larson. Um, its official premiere was in 1996 in New York City. Uh, however, it, it did start in like a workshopping situation as early as 1993. Mm -hmm. And this musical, I feel like to say it has a cult following is like putting it lightly. Oh, yeah. Like this is like the musical of all musicals in a way. For many people, I feel like it defined the 90s musical and when we were talking about this before recording, we were saying, like, this was the musical that, at least for me, like, I had a deep obsession with for a good four or five year period. Oh, totally. Like, in the early years of college or, like, end of high school, early college. Mm -hmm. Because the music was just so powerful and the story was really beautiful. And I knew nothing about Lab OM at that point. And so I thought it was amazing and right. so ingenious, which it still is. It still is. But yes, so in Rent, there are characters that have even, like, analogous names to the opera characters. So in the opera, you have Rodolfo. Mm -hmm. In the musical Rent, you have Roger. Right. Mimi is still the same. Mimi is still the same, yes. And then who does Marcello become? Mark. Mark. Mark, mm -hmm. yes. And Musetta uh, in the opera is Maureen. That's right. In the musical. Benoit becomes Benny. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Colina becomes Collins. Collins. And Shonard is technically Angel because they both kill that dog. Right. Hmm. And in the musical, he his name is Angel Shonard. Mm-hmm. But in the opera, he is just Shonard. Is it right? a dog in the opera? Isn't it like a parrot? I think it might be a bird. So in the opera, and it's it's a bird. In the musical, this character, who is supposed to be this transcendent drag queen who has this beautiful soul, when we meet her, she just killed a fucking dog, and I feel like we never talk about it again. That's bullshit. She drummed her drum so hard that the dog went crazy and jumped off the balcony. I always felt when I watched the musical in the early years, I was like, why is this such a big scene like why is it such a big deal or why do you even include that plot point at all because it seems so cruel however it is because the thing it that happened it happened and it's the thing that spurs on the money that they get in order to like have a big feast mm -hmm. which then brings on the scene in the musical viva la vie bohème right so we see it mark and roger they're cold because the power turned off so they burn like um roger in the musical is a musician yes and Mark is a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And Roger just wants to write his one song. One song, glory. One song, before I go. One song, one mm -hmm. song to leave behind. Mm -hmm. 
So this, the musical takes place in the East Village in the late 80s, early 90s, um, right in the middle of sort of the AIDS epidemic, or like the tail end of the AIDS epidemic, I guess, in mm -hmm. New York. Um, so Roger has HIV. So one of the reasons he sings this song is he's like, I want to contribute something, one last, like, one last refrain before I die. Yes. Kind of thing. And... Because it was very much a death sentence back then. Yes. And it's also something, too, where the kind of history of the musical itself is deeply entrenched in that time period where the people who wrote it were, like, inspired by friends that they had lost mm -hmm. in, in the AIDS epidemic in New York. And so I think that in many ways it was kind of like a, a monument to that era. And people that were involved in the musical theater industry at that time lost a lot of good friends. And so it was, in a way, it was, like, so deeply entrenched with culture with the recent past, I sure. guess you can say. And um, the, the man that wrote it, Jonathan Larson, there is, um, I feel like some people just assume that, um, well, what happened? I'm just dumping all over the place. Too much sugar. Um, so Jonathan Larson, before the off-Broadway premiere, died very suddenly at the age of 36. And a lot of people uh, just assume that, well, at the age of 35, excuse me, just assume that he, that he died, died of AIDS. AIDS. Um, but he had some sort of crazy, weird um, heart issue with, like, oh. one of the aortic valves. And he basically um, was, like, having chest pains for a bunch of days. And, so it was, like, um, a sudden heart attack? Pretty like much, massive yeah. heart attack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, and there's also, because of his sudden death right at the, like, beginning of the public life of this work, mm -hmm. um, the opening song, or one of the main songs in the musical that is played and kind of like the theme song of Rent. I believe all of the singers in the main cast like sang it at the beginning of the show after he passed away as like an ode to him, but it wasn't originally placed at the beginning of the show. It was happened mm -hmm. later in the show. Um, but since then it's become this tradition that the musical opens with the 525,600 minutes right. number. So... We're jumping all over the place a little bit, but that's a little bit of background about Rent. The characters are analogous in many ways, although the details are different. So when in the musical, when Mimi meets Roger, it is like almost an identical situation where she is looking for a light and like knocks for on their door candle, for right? her candle. Yes. She lives next door or she lives in the building. Mm hmm. And they're all, like, I guess squatters in a large, like, industrial building in the East Village. Well, so the thing is, Benny, the Benoit character, the landlord, is, like, a friend of theirs, and he told them, he, like, owns the building, he told them they could live there. Rent-free. Rent-free, which is insane. Um, <laughs> yeah, so when I was in high school, I was super into this musical, but as an adult, I'm just like, just, like, pay your fucking rent. Yes, and, like... Like, so be much an of, adult. I mean, so much of the tension in the musical between the characters that live in the building and Benny is because they're just like unwilling to pay the rent. Mm -hmm. And and also, he like strikes this deal with them, right? Where he's like, look, you don't actually have to pay the rent if you get one of our friends like under control because she's staging all kinds of protests and things against the like revitalization gentrification, that, gentrification of the area. Yes. And, yeah. And so he was like, if you guys just, you know, talk some sense into her. And they're like, no, damn the man. Right. And all that kind of stuff. Which I get, but like, be an adult, pay your rent. Yes. So Mimi gets her candle lit and then she comes back in because she dropped her drugs. Bum, 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 bum. Got a light. I know you. You're oh. shivering 
It's nothing, they turned off my heat. And I'm just a little weak on my feet. Would you light my candle? Anyway. What are you staring at? Anyway. <laughs> nothing. Your anyway. Moonlight. Okay. Anyway. So, uh, Mimi flirts with Roger, and he ends up rejecting her advances. Um, and he doesn't tell her why, but it's because he's HIV positive. He doesn't want to get involved with anybody. Right. Obviously, he's going through, like, a big traumatic thing because he got HIV because his former girlfriend contracted it and then left him a note basically saying, we have AIDS, and then she killed herself. So he's dealing with a lot right now. He's, yes. he's not in a good place to be dating anyone, and I think that's a fair thing to say. He's being very responsible on very many, responsible. many levels. Not on, like, a rent-paying level, but on other levels. Right. Emotional levels. Emotional <laughs> levels. Very mature. Right. And so... He rejects her, but there's obviously chemistry between them. Obviously. Yes. So then they end up having, like, I guess a get-together at their place because Collins and um, Angel show up and they have, like, a whole bunch of food. And then Mark and Roger are like, where did all this come from? And then they tell the story about Angel playing his drum so incessantly that the dog dies from, I guess, like, anxiety like, and anxiety-induced suicide. Yes, like drumming-induced drum anxiety. So I don't I know think you can do to an animal, but I mean... Right. Who knows? And so then they all decide... Is this when they decide to go to Maureen's show? They do. They go to Maureen's show, um, and Maureen is the Musetta character. Um, so what happens next is sort of analogous to the big... Um, Quando Menvo scene. Yes. And in uh, Lava Wem. So, so let's listen a little bit of Quando Menvo, which basically is Musetta shows up. She sees everybody. She sees her former lover, Marcello. And this decides, is at the Cafe Momu. Right, out in the street, Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. She decides to make him jealous, so she sings a little ditty about how basically when she walks down the street, all the men stare at her. They can't help it. They love her from, like, the tips of her toes to the top of her head, mm-hmm. et cetera, so forth. It's so, an extremely popular aria. You know it. You know it. equivalent of that in Rent is Maureen's performance art piece. That is a protest against all of the gentrification, the gentrification of the pushing neighborhood. out of the homeless and everything like that. So this is a little bit of Maureen's uh, song. This is the first time we really see her. This is called Over the Moon. Only thing to do is jump over the moon They've closed everything real down like barns and troughs and performance spaces and replaced it all with lies and rules and virtual life. 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 But there is a way out. Leap of faith, leap of faith, leap of faith. 
thought this was just the most bizarre piece. Well, I think it's supposed to be bad. It's supposed to be, like, bad performance Is art. it supposed to be bad performance I think art so. musical? Because I, I feel like anyone I've ever seen perform it, like, of course, because they're performing it, and this character, like, owns it, deeply owns it. Yeah. And I feel like they must feel so ridiculous performing this bad performing art, performance art. Right. But, yes. So that is the quantum window of Rent. It's a little bit different. Yes. And in Rent, Maureen um, and Mark used to be together. Like right? in the beginning of Bohem. Just like Musetta and Marcello. Mm-hmm. Um, but Maureen is currently with... Joanne. Joanne. And uh, this, of course, makes Mark a little bit jealous, but also Mark has a lot of sympathy for Joanne because he feels like... Joanne is going through the same things that he went through with Maureen. Right. Maureen is apparently a lot. Right. (laughs) And they have a great, a great tango number. They do. There is no tango in La Boheme. Right. Well, there's no equivalent to the Joanne character in La Boheme. (laughs) Yes. She is a new element in the musical. But Joanne and Mark do have a tango number. So this, I guess, is a special musical only number. The tango boring. It's a dark, dizzy merry-go-round As she keeps you dangling You're wrong Your heart, she is mangling It's different with me And you toss and you turn Cause her cold eyes can burn Yet you yearn and you churn and rebound I think I know what you mean The Tango Maureen The Tango Maureen you know what I just realized? What? So, Bohem was premiered in 1896, and Rent officially premiered in 1996. That's right! Synergy. 100 years. I'm sure they did it on purpose, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know. Feels pretty on purpose. Coincidence? I think not. All right, so then, I guess there's also a kind of parallel in the big Café Momu scene. After Musetta does her Quando Men there's like a big finale number to that act, and this is act two in the opera. Where they like order all this food and they make the old lover that Musetta showed up with, they basically stiff him with the bell. Right. Which they kind of do in Rent. Which is another thing that I have a problem with. Because that poor waiter, they go into the Life Cafe. There's like 20 of them. And they order like an insane amount of food. And I don't think anybody pays for it. And the waiter doesn't want them in there. Because he says they just sort of sit there and never pay for anything. And I'm like, that's not cool. I agree. (coughs) Like anyone who's ever waited tables knows. Like that's That's your nightmare customer. super douchey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're ordering all this food. And I don't recall anybody paying for it. I'm pretty sure in the musical they skip out on their bill. Not cool. It's Don't not do that, cool. people. Bohemians. So, bohemians. However, it does lead to a huge musical number. Yes. Called Viva la Vie Bohème. Yes. And in that musical number, there is actually a direct quotation of Puccini's opera. Is there? There is. And Roger will attempt to write a bittersweet evocative song. That doesn't remind us of Musetta's waltz. Ain't 
There's also a bunch of other musical references in that whole montage scene because I think in Viva la Vie Bohème there's also a reference to the Dies Irae. Yep. Dies Irae, Dies Ila. Mm -hmm. Dearly beloved, we gather here to say our goodbye. Daughter of Mother Earth On these nights when we celebrate the birth In that little town of Bethlehem We raise our glass You bet your ass to La So while all this is happening, there is another subplot with Collins and Angel going to support meetings because Angel also um, is HIV positive. That is such a sad subplot because Angel, I do think, even though he played his drum... He's a dog murderer. And he's a dog murderer. I think he did have a sweet soul. So he just wanted everyone to be friends and not fight and like lift each other up. The music that is surrounding like him going to support meetings is also really beautiful. There's a lot of like rounds and that kind of thing. I know you're never going to get over that. Mm -mm, I'm not. Anyway. That's okay. Um, so there's an important element that happens at the end of the musical of Viva La Vibo M number. Roger and Mimi figure out that they both are HIV positive. Right. And then they That's important that, to know. That they're going to be together. Yes. Because now they have no reason to be apart. Right. And in the end of the second act of the opera, Musetta and Marcello get back together. Yes. Because Marcello's like, I can't deny you, and everybody runs off and everybody's happy, except for the waiter and Alcindoro, who ends up paying the bill for, like, seven right. people. Um, so the third act of Bohem opens. We're uh, way out in the country. So both Rodolfo and Roger are kind of dicks. Um, mm -hmm. Rodolfo has decided of his own accord that Mimi is too sick for him to take care of. So what he does is he dumps her and then runs off into the country with Marcello, who was there with Musetta, and Marcello is painting, and Musetta is, like, singing for the folks in a tavern. Yeah, and Rodolfo just leaves her because he's like, she's so sick, she's going to die, I can't take care of her, she's better off with someone else. But isn't he also simultaneously, like, super jealous? Like, constantly. Every man she talks to, he thinks that she's fucking... Yes. Like, he's an emotionally abusive boyfriend. Yes. Don't date a Rodolfo, ladies. Yes. Don't date a Roger. Roger and Mimi in the musical also have a big fight and break up. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it's about. I think it's about her using. Probably. Yes. Because he has all of this history with this... I mean, generally, it's not a good thing that Mimi is using anyway. But that is the thing that breaks them up in the musical. Mm -hmm. Where he's like... You said you would change, and you're, like, doing this behind my back, and she's kind of like, screw you, and then they break up. Right. Yeah. And she starts seeing Benny. Then she starts seeing Benny, yes. Benny, who is an excellent adult, because once everything comes out and he finds out that she's using drugs and she's basically dying, he's like, I'm 
offering to pay for you to go into rehab. He's like, I'm going to take care of you. Yeah. Anyway. Rudolfo has broken up with Mimi. Roger has broken up with Mimi. Right. And in the opera, Mimi follows him, mm-hmm. walks in the cold. It's snowing. It's snowing outside. She's got TB. She walked to find him. Yes. Basically to confront him. And then she sings this great aria but where she's basically saying, you know, it was really great. No hard feelings. Senza rancor. Even though she didn't do anything fucking wrong. He's a goddamn dick. Um, so listen to some of that. It's really pretty. It's really beautiful. She sings this beautiful aria and they have this moment. Isn't that when they decide that they should be together until spring? Right. He's like, oh, girl, I can't let you go. You're like, no one wants to be alone in the winter. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. No one wants to be alone in the winter. It's so cold outside. And um, that leads into the really famous quartet from La Boheme. Because while they're singing about that, um, Musetta and Marcello are heard in the distance screaming at each other because Marcello says that Musetta is flirting with a bunch of people and she's like, fuck you, dude. And they get into this big fight where he calls her a whore and she calls him a house painter. And so they've broken up again. It's kind of amazing because you have like me, me and Rudolfo who are reconciling, at least temporarily, and have this like beautiful love music. And in the background, you hear things like crashing and Marcello and and Musetta like yelling at each other, yell singing at each other. Right. So it's pretty great. Let's listen to it a little bit. Okay. Oh, my God. 
in the musical there's really no equivalent there is the one of the really famous songs from rent where maureen and joanne break up and maureen sort of sings about how um like you can't yeah you can't like cage me and people flirt with me and i flirt back which is what i'm like and all that kind of stuff and so i guess that's a kind of the same although it doesn't really involve the same characters right it's certainly a very dramatic moment right let's listen to some of that joanne's part in that is amazing yeah yes really listen for joanne she's awesome you've got a prize so don't compromise you're one lucky Maureen and Joanne break up. Mimi and Roger break up. All this dr- dramatic stuff is, is happening at the same time. Angel has gotten very, very sick. Yes. And so Collins is at Angel's bedside. Um, and Angel dies. Yes. And it's his, his funeral that really like brings them all back into the same physical place. Right. right? It brings them all, all back together. And... Uh, Colin sings this reprise of a the love song that they had in the first act oh, called "I'll Cover You." Oh, so beautiful! And it's it's so beautiful and it's so heartbreaking. And let, let's just listen to some of that. Live in my house. I'll be your shelter. Just pay me back With one thousand kisses Be my lover Cover you, yeah. Open your door, I'll be your tenant. Don't got much baggage to lay at your feet, but sweet kisses I've got to spare. I'll be there and I'll cover you. They meant it when they said you can't buy love 
Now I know you can rent it In a lease you are my love On life Oh, my life I long to discover Something as true as this is yeah. So in a thousand sweet kisses Earlier today I asked Elspeth if you could sing any role in the musical Rent if you had, if for a day you could have like the voice, the look, the gender everything you needed to sing one of these roles, who would you pick? And you said? I said Collins, because Collins has the best music. It's pretty great. It's pretty great music. I stuck with Mimi just because... You're a soprano. I'm a soprano. At heart. At heart. And I always, like, wished I had the voice to be able to sing Mimi. Mm-hmm. you got to be able to belt to sing that role. And it's I true. can't do that. So. <laughs> so after the funeral... Everyone gets into this big mammoth fight, um, and Maureen and, and Mimi talk about how they wish that they had, um, like, a love like Angel and Collins had, which mm-hmm. is a super inappropriate thing to say right after a funeral, but these people are all selfish jackholes. Um, basically, everybody sort of breaks apart. Joanne goes back to working as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, Roger decides to leave town. Mark is sort of floundering on his own he doesn't know what to do with his life and Mimi goes off into well it's implied that she's going to go off to rehab and Benny's gonna right. pay for it and take care of her and that's how that ends and then the fourth act of Rent mm-hmm. which was the only part of Rent live that was in fact live because the singer who was cast as Roger Broke his foot. Broke his foot at the dress rehearsal. And Which so um, he did the, the last part of it live because Roger sort of sits on a table. And it was only <laughs> kind of <laughs> it was only kind of funny because um so what happens is Roger comes back to the city and Roger and Mark are reconciled. And um, Collins is there and everybody's hanging out, and then all of a sudden you hear Maureen yelling, and she and Joanne are carrying Mimi, and they found her. That's she right. was homeless on the street, and she's dying. She's in really poor health. Um, and so they're climbing up the stairs with her, and Roger is, like, stuck on the table because, you know, his foot's in a cast, and you just hear someone go, no, in the background because he can't, like, go to her and carry oh, her. Yeah. It was <laughs> It was pretty funny. <laughs> if he, if the singer had not broken his foot, he probably would have run over and carried her. Right. The woman playing Mimi in Rent was real small, so it would not have been an issue. Right. Um, but folks, the show must go on. So the show must go on. Yes. And so he was sitting there, and they bring Mimi to him, and she, they have like their big scene where she's, you know, she's gonna succumb to the disease and everything. And Roger is like, I wrote this song. This is my one song, and I wrote it for you. I'm going to play it for you now. Um, which does quote uh, Quando Menvo. Oh, it does. Yeah. I personally don't think it's a very good song, but... Isn't that the one where he's like, your eyes when we said our goodbyes? Yes. Okay. It's not like... Yeah, it's not a rousing number. It's really the quote from Quando Men Vo is the most dramatic 
part of it. Right, exactly. <laughs> Which also doesn't make a lot of sense because... No, Club but it's, it's a pretty not, lick. It's like a pretty lick, right? Of course, it's a pretty lick. But dramatically speaking, there is no connection between that bit of Quantum and Vo and the story of Mimi and Roger. So this essentially um, pretty much follows the fourth act of Bohem pretty closely. Mm-hmm. Um, Mimi and Rodolfo have broken up between Act 3 and Act 4. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's back in the garret with Martello, and then you hear Musetta yelling on the street that Mimi is ill and she's dying, and they bring her up, and they... Um, I mean, Rodolfo doesn't sing her like... <laughs> A like electric guitar rock song that he wrote. No, but, but they in do the have opera, a beautiful duet. They do, and the duet musically is really ingenious because it basically recounts melodies from uh-huh. all of the happy times that they had together throughout the opera. They're love duets in Act One, and they like reminisce about when they first met, where she's like, "When I introduced myself, and I said it was me, me," and then right. their love duet. They sing about when they like reconciled in the snow, and then so all of these musical moments kind of come back as they recall their time together and it's heartbreaking because it's like you you know what's gonna happen yeah listen to a little bit of that
So this is where Rent and Boem depart sharply. Depart sharply. Um, what happens in Boem? I'm sure you figured it out. Is that um, it's it's done really well where everyone is like Mimi is asleep. And there's a musical sting and nobody sees it, but usually what happens in the production is like her hand falls or her head drops and she's dead, right? Right. And everyone, every other character is on stage, but nobody's looking at her. They're just waiting for like uh, Colina to come back um, with the sells, doctor. He like sells his coat to get some medicine, and come back with the doctor. Um, and then I think it's Marcello that turns around first and he's like, Musetta, I think she's dead. And then Rodolfo is the last one. To realize, realize it. it. He's like, why is everybody looking at me? What's happening? Um, and he sees her, and he sees that she's dead. And there's this huge dramatic, like, strings in the orchestra. And like, minor chords. And the tenor goes, Mimi! And that's how it ends. And it's super fantastic and wonderful. Rent, totally. When we say it's super fantastic and wonderful, in in how effective it is. And how effective it is. At it's the, very at the tra- heartbreaking. At displaying the tragedy because it's just like heart-wrenching how right. it all ends. But as an audience member, you're sitting there and you're just like, oh, God. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And Rent, Mimi dies. Or you think Mimi dies. And e- Roger even has the like, Mimi but moment. But it's much lower. Yes. I mean, come on. Um, and all of a sudden, she wakes up. And she claims that while she was dying, she was going towards a warm light. And all of a sudden, she saw Angel. And Angel mm-hmm. was like, turn back around. Listen to that boy's song and all of this stuff. So she goes back because of Roger. And I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> she should have died. But don't, I mean, oh, well... No, it's bullshit. Even when I was, like, in high school and I listened to this, it got to the end and I was like, this is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a cop-out. It is kind of a cop-out. But on the upside, it has a happy ending. Is that everything? No, it's not. It's like we can only kill one person and it has to be the drag queen. I know. I know. Does anybody... I guess in Boheme, only one person dies. That we know of. That we know of. That waiter definitely got fired. Doesn't mean he's dead. I know, but like <laughs> bad, other bad stuff happened to people. Yes, other, bad stuff, yes this. other bad stuff happened to people. Algendora lost his love. So, mm, is he in love with her? I think so. All right. Anyway. Anyway. It is an unexpected happy ending. It just feels very clumsy. It it felt like they didn't want Mimi to die, so they were like, like, "This is how." What a fucking cop out. Like, this is how we're going to make it so she doesn't have to. Right. And all of a sudden her fever's breaking. Right. She's magically better. Right. Yeah. She and Roger, like, live happily ever after. But yes, this is how, ultimately, Boheme and Rent differ in the end. One of the main ways that they yes. that they differ. So, take from this what you will. <laughs> I think... If you have not seen one or the other, if you haven't seen either of them... You should rectify that immediately. You should definitely go watch them both. Yes. Um, and then I think what it would ultimately come down to is, like, which musical style is more your jam is going to be what one you like better. Right. And, and also I, what ending you can 
You can stomach. You can stomach. Yes. I do think if you're um, if you're bringing people to the opera for the first time, or you're introducing people to opera. That Bohème is sort of the perfect. Oh yes. Opera for that. It's nothing but tunes. It's a pretty easy story to follow, and as far as operas go, it's pretty short. It and is. I think there is a lot of economy in the music and the drama, and I don't think there's a lot of wasted space right in the opera and also the music in bohem not only does it have great tunes there's a lot of like the orchestra illustrating what is physically happening right so like when they're trying to warm their hands over the fire like the orchestra makes the crackling of the fire Mm -hmm. and um and when it's snowing like you can hear in the orchestra the snow falling and so (laughs) yeah yeah so it's very kind of like musical painting of the scene Mm -hmm. and so I think it does help kind of tie everything together yeah in a really beautiful way yeah and most productions of it are really beautiful and if you come to New York and you go to the Met it's a signature production you get to see that huge act two set which is always impressive to people and the third act it snows on stage so it's pretty amazing what more do you ask for yes snows on stage (laughs) snows on stage I remember the first time I saw it at the Met, and then when the curtain opened on Act 3, like, it almost felt cold because yeah. of the snow. And the light's blue and mm-hmm. gray, and yeah. It's it's really pretty. And the snow is actually, like, how they create the snow is really neat, because they have, like, a giant sling up above the stage. You can't see it, but it's like a big fabric sling that has all these tiny, tiny pieces of paper in it. And the sling has, like, slits in it. And I'm pretty sure the sling that just, like, moves back and forth really slowly. And so because of that, um, the slits in the the sling open just enough to let little pieces of paper fall Mm -hmm. really gently. And so it really is ingenious in that it is very successful in creating the look of falling snow. And the pieces of paper are cut, um, some are cut in circles and some are cut in x's really so they fall at different speeds i did not know that So it looks more like actual snow that's amazing mm-hmm. <sighs> magic magic theatrical magic yes. everyone but and think about how fast they have to get it all up too off the stage because there's a whole other it's act sweeping yeah yes well there also there's a scrim in front that um a very transparent scrim so the snow doesn't go out into further um like into the proscenium or into the pit Oh. So it's not pieces of paper falling into a tube or anything like that. I also didn't know that. I'm learning so much today. So much. Oh. Met magic. Continuing education. Yes. Um, so <laughs> that's our Rent versus Boem. Um, Naomi, do you like one better than the other? Ooh. So I used to adore Rent, right. as I said, in my youth. In your youth? In my youth. And I have to say that I rarely listen to it anymore. Right. Like, it only really comes up as something I listen to when we start talking about it with somebody. <laughs> right. No, that makes sense. And, but I will say that Bohem, for me, at this stage in my life, seems to just never get old. Yeah. So it might just be that it's my obsession now. And I do think that the story of Bohem, like, speaks to my soul a little bit more, even if Rent has a special place in my heart. I think Rent has a special place in everybody's heart because um, the people that love it, it hit them at a very specific, specific age. age. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like, for me, it hit me at that age where when I hear Seasons of Love, it just, like, makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside 
because yep. it's Seasons of Love, and I was at a certain age where that just, it was like the most powerful song I had ever heard at that age. Um, so there, it will always have a special place in my heart, even if I don't listen to it all the time. Absolutely. Yes. Um, what about you? Rent versus Bohem. I think it's the same it's the same thing. I was obsessed with Rent mm-hmm. when it came out, but also I was at that very susceptible like high school age where you become obsessed with yes. specific things, and it was everywhere, and it was like this cool, amazing, wonderful thing. And this was, you know, at least in, in my lifetime, the first time a musical had so touched like the cultural lexicon, and it felt yes. so like subversive and new and the subject matter and all of that. Um, and, I mean, it doesn't, now right like the the new york city of rent is not the new york city of now right the new york city of rent lost that battle and now the new york city of now is uh starbucks and right and overpriced housing (laughs) um yeah and so i don't think it ages really well the Mm. the music is great Mm -hmm. um i think it also benefits from really really good performers oh yes um and i think I think Bohem is still really effective if it's sung by, like, not the upper echelon best of the best singers. I mean, obviously, yes. when, like, Pavarotti sang Rodolfo, it's, like, this incredible thing. It's amazing. But if some, like... If a young artist sings a role in Bohem, it's, it's still, still very effective. Exactly. Yeah. It's still it's still super effective. Like, Puccini wrote for singers. He wrote in a way that highlighted the voice. Mm-hmm. So... In a very sort of organic, in a really organic way, and easy I, way. in a really expressive way, and so it's mm-hmm. like even if you don't have the legacy or the popularity or like the following of Pavarotti, I think you can still give a performance that's just as powerful because of the way the music is written. But at the same time, there's nothing in Bohem that, like, I have an emotional reaction mm. to, like you know, Seasons of Love, right? Which I know at this point is super cliched, but. I mean, at the time. At the time, it was. Yeah, and it was such a huge popular thing. I mean, I don't think we've seen anything like that. I mean, with the exception of Hamilton. I think Hamilton feels like, and I admit I'm not a musical theater expert, but looking at it from the outside, Hamilton is by far, like, the biggest thing on the same level as Rent in terms of popularity and cult following and, right. like, hitting a particular cultural moment in a certain way. And I do think Hamilton is going to age better. Mm. The story Rent. is not from this present time, right? Even exactly. though it hit it at this present time, whereas Rent was, like, a story from that time, basically. Right. Um, from that time about that time. Created at that time, and so... Right, of the moment. Of the moment, yeah. But they're both pretty amazing, so, again, we'll hit you in different ways. Exactly. Depending on where you are and who you are when you hear them. So, I think we're going to probably play out to Seasons of Love, because obviously... But, um... <laughs> let us know if you liked this. Um, I hope that you did, because if we're going to talk about... I'm super excited. <laughs> I'm excited, too. <laughs> We're going to talk about Aida, and we're also going to talk about the greatest musical version of anything ever, Elton John's Aida. Oh, yeah. And we're probably going to be singing a lot of it, and I hope Kyle will join us for that, because he's going to be hella irritated the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) But for now, I hope you enjoyed our first attempt at this versus that. Yep. I'm Naomi. And I'm Elspeth.
Thanks for listening to Opera After Dark. Bye. Bye. Sunsets in midnights and